My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Let the darkness find you if it must. Throw off the quick and tempting escapes and seek help only from those who would teach you to grow, feed your soul, embrace your heart, but would not steal away your journey. Jennifer DeLucy. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and wow, this is my first time back in the studio since the election here in the U.S., I'm sure you won't be shocked to hear that I was hoping it would go very, very differently. I'm guessing that is the case for many of you as well. So before we start, I just want you to know that no matter what your race or your religion, your gender, your sexual orientation, your socioeconomic status, what disabilities you may have, what country you're native to, you are so, so totally welcome here with me in my world, in Girl Boner Land. You always will be. I am one of many, many people who promise to work harder for equality. And I know it's been a a rough time. It's been stressful. Many of us are aching. I'm with you. I get that too. And with that in mind, we have a very special show lined up, both to honor the collective hurt, but also to hopefully bring some much-needed light. Dr. Megan will respond to a question from a rape survivor who has felt triggered by the election, and you'll hear messages of solidarity and committed action from allies, which I'm telling you guys, they gave me chills. But first, I'm so honored to introduce today's guest, Katrina McCarty. Katrina has spent her life studying human sexuality. In 32 years at Planned Parenthood of Northern New England, she rose from healthcare associate to longtime vice president for education and training. She led a team of sexperts who provided sex ed and training to professionals, teens, and parents around the world. She's a consultant and trainer on sexual expression and sex-positive culture, and a faculty member at Community College of Vermont, where she teaches about communication, race, ethnicity, class and gender, and sexuality. She has served as national co-chair of the Association of Planned Parenthood Leaders in Education and served her community on the boards of the Women's Crisis Center in Brattleboro, Vermont, and Outright Vermont, and the Governor's Task Force on Gender Bias in the Courts, and the Vermont Task Force on Teen Pregnancy. Katrina, thank you for the incredible work you have done and continue to do and for joining me today. Well, thank you, August. And it just it just sounds like too much work, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. You know, it's, it's a lot. It's like so much fun. Yeah. yeah. Talking about sex all the time. Who wouldn't want a career like that? Oh, you know, I I so appreciate and relate to that passion. And it is, it is it's very impressive and it's so important. And I love that you bring such joy to you to this field. Uh, what led you initially into your career in sexuality? Well, you know, to be honest, um, August, I, I was um, a young 14-year-old adolescent who was really, to, to be frank, turned on. Mm-hmm. And I was a girl, and 
I wasn't hearing from any of my friends that they were turned on. And um, I just, I let myself explore my sexuality and explore it first with myself and then with boys. And um, I don't, I think that I knew that, and, and, and those experiences didn't always turn out well, but I knew at the very beginning, at least, that I was doing it because it was a, ve a very natural thing to be doing. Like, I felt that it was natural. As I um, went through some experiences, I realized that not everybody thought that. <laughs> and um, it, I wasn't, it, nobody was, I didn't feel anybody by my side with it. And so I started to pull back a little bit. But that 14-year-old is still talking to me and still saying to me, you know, it is natural. It is absolutely natural and fine, and you're lucky. Mm. So that was really how I started. Um, and I think I never stopped thinking about sexuality after that. And, of course, you know, I, I did the usual things. I met somebody and fell in love, and we had two kids, and we were hippies, and we got married and we lived off the grid and we did all that kind of stuff and at, at that time. And then um, I decided that I wanted to work on this more, um, more purposefully and I applied for a job at Planned Parenthood. Mm, beautiful. What a beautiful journey. Yeah. And I love that you keep in mind that that young girl who had this natural mm -hmm. passion and you, I know, are very passionate uh, about sex ed and really champion the role it plays. And you feel that it should be very consistent from very early on. Would you speak to that? What changes would you like to see? Oh, gosh. I, I don't know if we have enough time for all of that, August. But, um, you know, people often do ask about sex education. And um, I think I think that we can't put it in a box the way we do, with the way public schools do, the way parents often do. Parents are really willing to talk about sex ed with their kids when they're going through puberty because they're afraid. They, they, they want to help them not get in trouble, help them not, ex, you know, just keep it, keep it in check, keep it in check. And so that's a time in a young parent's life and in a kid's life where there is some conversation about sexuality. But we need to be talking about sexuality consistently throughout a person's life, whether they are three or whether they are 93. I think our sexuality is, is really a, a, one of the strongest aspects of our being. And um, so... When I think about sexuality education, I want it to be much more part of everyday life for people. Mm -hmm. And I think in some cultures, and in particular in our country, that is frowned upon by many, and um, and people are fearful of it, and so they try to control that. Mm, yes, yes, a lot in, of a lot of in fear. public schools through religious doctrine, through policies that are made. Um, and it's unfortunate because, uh, I don't think it's healthy. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I agree. And, and as you said, that it should be this ongoing, instead of this one, either one tiny course or this one awkward conversation, you know, because our sexuality starts with us. So I, I love that. And, you know, I, 
I don't think that even in high school we have that, you know, puberty age conversation with teens, with young teens. But even in high school, when you talk to um, older teens or young college students, they haven't really learned anything that they need to learn to be like a good lover by the time they're 24. And don't we want that for everybody? Oh, totally. Yeah. We want people to have great sexual relationships and we want them to feel really comfortable in their own bodies and they can't get there by themselves. <laughs> yeah, it's really true. It's really true. And the the shame and a lot of the negative beliefs carry on. And, you know, I've heard from people of all walks of life, as I know you do routinely, who are still working to kind of undo some of that exactly. that shame, which, as you said, is not natural. Right. So I have to ask you about this incredible book that recently came out that you co-edited with Kathy Plord called Making Out Like a Virgin, Sex, Desire, and Intimacy After Sexual Trauma. It is such an incredible book. It has 17 essays by survivors of sexual trauma who have found healing and just beautiful stories from all different genders and uh, worldviews and walks of life. And one thing that really struck me about this book is when we hear that there's a book about sexual trauma or related to, to trauma, I think it's it's easy to assume it's going to be a very dark book. And this book is full of light. It has you know, parts of it are very heart-wrenching, but the overarching message in each story is one of hope and healing. And I found myself, you know, connecting to all these different experiences, no matter kind of where we come from. And also, there's some really yummy, spicy parts, too. It's a really joyful read. So tell us why you think a book that is so unique, a book of this nature, is important. Well, you know, Um, probably like you and many other people like us, when we think about sexuality and we think about positive sexuality, we're looking to find where all the barriers are to break them down so that we can be more fully our sexual selves or live in a, a fully positive sexual culture. And one of the barriers is, um, sexual violence and sexual violence that includes, you know, childhood sexual abuse, um, a sexual assault, even domestic violence very often includes a sexual aspect to it, a sexual overpowering aspect to it. So when you think about sexual violence, it's, it's a huge barrier um, uh, for us uh, to become that 24, 25-year-old healthy, great lover that we all want to be. Um, and this book is one of a few, if not the only one that I know of, where it takes the issues of uh, people who have experienced sexual trauma and talks not about being a victim, not about being a survivor, but being somebody who has really reclaimed their own sexuality or is still working towards that, but that's where they're heading, and is feeling very positive about themselves again. So making out like a virgin is about getting your sex, your desire, and your erotic feelings, uh, and your sexual intimacy back to you. Mm. Uh, or even sometimes getting it for the first time, because like a virgin, um, when yeah. you've been sexually traumatized, it, it, it could have been at an early stage in your life, and it's just affected you all along. 
So these stories are stories that really show us that um, there is a way to be more than a victim or a survivor. Mm. And unfortunately, the sexual violence movement in our country is really, um, and, and I think always will be focused on, you know, prevention and treatment. And they should be because we, everybody needs that. And they are wonderful um, organizations and people that have dedicated their life. And sometimes they're in the trenches for years working hard to help you know, victims get their initial step out of it and for survivors to keep going and get all that they need. So for us, this was a way of taking a step way down the road and saying, here, let's let's give the culture something that is really positive, that says, yes, sexual violence happens in all kinds of ways. And here are some people that have reclaimed their 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 feelings of sexuality, their body image, and all of those things. Mm, yes, absolutely. And I definitely gleaned all of that from this book. It's really compelling. It's it's a page turner. And I, I highlighted so much of it, and it's all <laughs> rabbit-eared. I, it's one that I think I'll keep going back to. And uh, yeah, the I know that Kevin Gallagher's story really struck you. It struck me, too. It's called Folding In. And uh, he's now a psychotherapist, and his abuse started around six years old. And his evolution and and questioning, you know, why this happened to him. And it's it's a really powerful story. And there's this beautiful part that I, I highlighted. He says, central to my own recovery is the concept of love. I don't call having sex making love. I think sex and love are very different. By this, I mean that love is a verb, an action taken toward another and not necessarily sexual. I just thought that was so beautiful. There's so many powerful takeaways. What was it about Kevin's story that that really spoke to you? Well, of course, one of the, you know, it's called folding in. And I think that sometimes people just need analogies. They just need to understand that, you know, you can come out of a sexually traumatizing experience and live with it for a long time. And maybe it is central to your being for a long time. And what Kevin's story says to all of us is, look, I lived that way for a long time. It was central. So I sort of, it sort of led my life or I let it lead my life. And it wasn't until his, um, he was learning how to bake with his partner that his partner said, said, let's fold this in. And he didn't really get the concept of folding in. And he said, well, you don't have to mix it entirely into the bowl. You just fold it in, you turn it in, and it is part of it, but it's not all of it. And I think that was something that just clicked in Kevin. And, and he has used that analogy to say, to himself and then to others, look, um, sexual trauma in any form is part of me, of of us, but it doesn't have to be all of us. And he mm-hmm. says, it's not, I don't think of myself anymore first as that sexual survivor. I think of myself at, that that is part of me, but not all of me. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Yes, absolutely. I think you need analogies like that yeah. sometimes to just hold on to. Yeah. I think so, too. I think we learn so much from them and they they stick with us. You know, that's something that somebody who's in a place where they are really struggling and feeling defined by an experience of that nature to know that, you know what, this is now, but it may not always be. That's powerful. Yeah, yeah. 
And another story that really struck me was Terry West's story uh, called Perfect Kiss. Her assault began during middle school, and it was very vivid. She shared um, how she became involved with a teacher that her mother happened to be having an affair with. And many things struck me about the story, but one, because of the work that I do, she talks about fantasies and she talks about having shame about wanting to be submissive and and vulnerable and weak um, and taken by a powerful man and how she kept these secret and silent and and felt these layers of shame and that that silence held her back and that she eventually through effort and reflection and therapy and all kinds of different efforts began to really embrace her sexuality and her fantasies and I just thought that was a really powerful message for anybody, whether they've experienced trauma or not. And and by the end of the story, she's really, I mean, downright playful. There's just such wonderfulness mm-hmm. there. Uh, what mm-hmm. what struck you about Terry's story? Well, you know, I really liked the, um, how she uh, took, well, her story goes on and she talks about some of the complicated relationships that were, that she was engaged with in her life at that time, the relationship with her mother, the relationship with the teacher, the relationship with the mother and the teacher and all of that. And I think that when she started to find her strength, one of the things I love about Terry's story, I love her writing, by the way, too, but I love that she just realized that to really start to feel whole again, she needed to address the things, the secrets, the things that she wasn't sharing. And so she went to her mother and brought it up. And I think that that to me is key. And I think um, a lot of people will um, not only get a little comfort out of that, but maybe a little encouragement to like just address some of the things that um, they need to. And not everyone who has uh, survived uh, sexual trauma wants or needs to confront or go to somebody and talk to them about it for whatever reason. Um, but some people do. And she realized that that was one of the things that was holding her back. Mm. So the bigger message, I think also, as, as well as what you were saying was her ability to look to, you know, to reflect inwardly and say, what is holding me back? And then, um, taking that, taking that risk, taking that chance. Yes, absolutely. I love that. And that, you know, your, Mm. your gut, like you will know, what those steps are to take and that that was the one for her. I think, it, you know, that bravery that it took to to make that step and, and her healing is really, really powerful for sure. Mm-hmm. I also loved TM's story, As I Am, I think partly because he talks about, he brings up different kinds of abuse. And I feel like there's sort of a stereotype that, sexual assault and sexual trauma happens in very particular ways and that you know it's maybe it's a, a stranger in an alley or or we hear more and more that it's somebody that that the person knows but even so that the actual abuse the emotional parts of it you know his story involved mm-hmm. emotional control and i think so many of us have been in a relationship with someone who's very controlling and and the power of those really dark words and how deep that can all run. But then again, also the healing and embracing your full authentic self. TM actually shares uh, realizing that though he was born in a female body, that he actually identifies as male. And I just thought that message too, you know, that 
that he's been able to embrace his full self is is so mm-hmm. powerful. Mm-hmm. And isn't that what we want for everybody? Yeah. Um, you know, whether you have experienced sexual trauma or not, we want that for everybody. But when you have had sexual trauma, it might be something that holds you back even more. So I'm, I'm thrilled that TM also has found that this is who he is and that he's, he's, he's out there with it now. And that's, that's fantastic. I also liked that there are parts of his story is, um, quite complex, but there are parts of it where you can hear his his lightness and his happiness and um and I wonder if because he's writing it now you can hear that and I wonder if that had gotten buried before you know mm-hmm. that he's just starting to bring that lightness back out and and really look at things in maybe a slightly different way yeah absolutely i felt that too it's it's very mm-hmm. very powerful well, can I just say one other thing about one story, if we have time, August? Yeah, please, absolutely. So there is the story that Sarah Mel wrote about um, freedom in my fingertips. And one of the things I like about that, this, and it might be because I am a sexuality educator, and that has been my life, all my life, all my adult life, Um but she talks about she talks a little bit about the sexual trauma, but not much, um, which is another good thing about all the stories. They don't go back to the trauma and relive it. They go from a place of having pushed, uh, you know, put a little distance and they don't bring it back into the stories, which I really like. And that's what we asked them not. To, we asked them to do that. But what Sarah was really um, saying to us was. She found her freedom through through looking at, admiring, feeling, and touching her own body. Mm, yes. And being encouraged by a lover to do that. And that very thing gave her her whole self back. Once she realized that her body belonged to her, that she started to she started masturbating and realized that this was this was how she liked pleasure this is how she found pleasure this is what turned her on this is what didn't it gave her herself back again and i think that was the absolute fundamental change in her life was taking the chance to masturbate and really know her own body and how it was feeling and what it was like and what it was made of and then saying this is mine it belongs to me and only i share it when i want to share it and it sort of pushed her beyond um the sexual trauma that she had been carrying around for a long time yes i love that story too and actually i was laughing with glee because i related so much there's this point where she calls is it she calls her partner to share that she masturbated i did the same thing with (laughs) with my husband and he was at work and uh it was i i completely connected to that joy and and the partner's joy too you know that that it's just such a beautiful when you when you have never done that when there has been shame there I so agree. It's just such a powerful piece of of self-discovery. And I love that it was so healing for her. And there's so much shame in it for women in particular. And not because we're not supposed to, well, it might be because we're not supposed to be as sexualized or as as seeking sex in the same way that men do, which is all 
you know, of course not true. But um, I think that um, being able to really know what you like, you know, how can we be good lovers if we don't know what we like, what turns us on and how, what better way than to like explore your own body by yourself at first. So when you're, you can then call your husband or your lover up and say, Hey, listen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. As you are, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Amen. Yes. I I can't agree with you more. It's so beautiful. So beautiful. Really well done on, on Sarah's part. Yeah. And she's a good writer too. They're all, they're all, exceptional people everybody in the book it was hard to figure out which ones I for me to talk about with you because um, each one of them comes with a very uh, special their own special story and to just to think that we had these 17 people just sharing this adventure with us and opening up and working hard at writing and and just being in the process with us all along, and it took us a whole year. Um, it's remarkable, and like I, I just want to applaud them um, every day for having taken this chance with us. Yes, I agree. They deserve huge kudos. It's it's yeah, a do. really beautiful ensemble piece. I feel like each piece plays such an important role. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. So, what is one of the most important messages that you hope people will gain? from the whole book. I, I really hope that people will see this as <clears throat> just one little uh, look at um, sexuality from a positive perspective. I'm always looking for the, the positive aspects of sexuality and talking about them. I'm really not very interested in talking about the negative and um, because I think the culture does a really good job at that. Mm-hmm, yeah. And I think media does a really good job of that. And I just want people to see that even the at the hardest, the hardest aspects of our own human sexuality, sexual trauma, and surviving that, that we can find ways to move on and to move forward from it. So to me, this is a very positive book if I were to say how would you describe it I'd say it's a sexually positive book yeah I agree yeah absolutely stories that will prove that yes I agree very well said and because of the difficult time in our culture right now with the election I know a lot of people because of different um, you know issues that have come up because of Trump and and kind of the media surrounding it, we've heard so much about sexual trauma and and people are feeling somewhat triggered. And I wonder if you have any sort of message you'd like to share with anyone who has survived sexual assault and is feeling perhaps a bit more alone right now. Well, I think that it's a hard thing to um, try and figure out what to say to people because people are at such different levels all the time and being triggered is it is one of the hardest things to sort of make your way through but I think we do and we can make our way through and um, maybe if we for those of us who or for those people who have been triggered at this point um, in particular is to realize that um, it's a trigger again. It's a trauma and it's might have reopened the wound or the scab a little bit, 
but we can put the Band-Aid back on, we can let it heal, we can keep going. Um, I don't even really know what else to say that doesn't bring up all my anger and frustration and, um, and, and feelings of like, how can we step, take five steps forward and see and feel something positive and then have all of a sudden something happen or some one person take that away from us and pull us all back. And, and that's frustrating and angering to me, but I, um, I just hope people can find their way through and get to that place where they feel um, that they can breathe again and start thinking about positive things and realizing that that is just one person saying horrifying things and it's not all of us. Yes. It's like what you said at the very beginning of the show, um, you know, like, you you want everybody to know that they're welcome, that they're welcome here. They're welcome in this country. They're welcome. And I, I want everybody to hear that that is one person's speech and one person's ideas. And he's not alone, but he is not the majority. Yes, that's so important. And I think people hearing that will find some comfort in that. So thank you. And thank you for joining me today. I feel like we could talk for days and I hope you'll join me again. Yeah, and um, August, I just have one last thing, and you and I, uh, I think, well, anyway, as we all know, um, Leonard Cohen died on Thursday, on Friday, and one of the things that keeps me going, and maybe it's it, it might help others, is, you know, his his quote, which is like, there are always there are always cracks, and then the cracks you will always find the light. Mm, yes. Well, well, that's what I hope. Yeah. I hope that we can all find the light and keep going. I do too. Thank and you. And read the book and read positive books about sexuality. Yes. Yes. This is a great, actually a great time to read Making Out Like a yeah. Virgin. Yeah. I think so too. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much, August. I hope we uh, keep talking, you and I. Absolutely. Thank you again, Katrina. Be well. You too. Bye-bye. Such a fantastic resource. I was really inspired. And if you are looking to read this wonderful book, again, that's Making Out Like a Virgin, Sex, Desire, and Intimacy After Sexual Trauma, you can find it on Amazon. So I received a question that I think is so important, given everything we've been talking about, from somebody named Janice, who wrote this. I'm a sexual assault survivor and feeling very triggered by the election. I'm also in a new relationship about four months, which feels serious, and I'd like it to stay that way. I haven't told him about the rapes and was hoping not to for a while, but my strong libido is now in hiding, and I've been having nightmares, waking up sweaty, so I don't even want to sleep beside him. He's a great guy, but this seems like a lot to put on the table so soon. I was really enjoying the bliss, and now... Anyway, I guess I'm wondering if you think I should tell him or is this likely to pass and I can take more time? Thank you. Janice, thank you for that important question. I know that others out there are relating, nodding their heads, going like, yes, please, what do I do? And here is what Dr. Megan had to say. Thank you so much uh, for this question. Um, You know, I think, first of all, 
because I'm sure it's been a conversation that's on all of our minds, you know, the election has really triggered, you know, profound and intense emotions um, for so many. And so the fact that your strong libido is in hiding, um, you know, I just want to make that sort of normative, you know, when we're going through any kind of stressful event, um, you know, that, that is one of the, you know, stress is sort of the number one killer of libido. Um, so I just sort of want to put it into context. And I think that in particular with your history of having, um, the sexual assault and having experienced rapes that, um, you're now experiencing in the, um, sort of in the wake of this, sort of the, some of the reoccurrence of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms in terms of the nightmares, but also, um, you know, the being sweaty, that that is um, your nervous system sort of in response to the stress and the cortisol is kind of on overdrive and it's kind of kicking in um, some of the historic PTSD symptoms. And so, you know, the part that I'm hearing you say, though, is you've now been four months in a relationship where despite your sexual history, you've been able to really um, move beyond that to not only the foundation of arousal be relaxed with a partner, but to enjoy sex and to um, have that libido. So, you know, as much as I know that you don't want to bring sort of this heavy piece so soon um, and continue the bliss, I also think that um, it's important that he understands um that, you know, if all of a sudden you guys have been together almost every night or very frequently, and now because you don't want him to see you sweaty or having the nightmares, um, you're not sleeping together, I'm wondering how he might be interpreting that because he might feel like that has something to do with him or that something shifted or you're wanting more distance or space. So, you know, it's because you feel like you don't want him to see this and you're trying to be really careful about when to share this part of your history. But we have no idea how he might be interpreting how and why you're no longer um, spending the night together. So I really want to clarify that. And also, you know, it's now been over a week. Um, you might find that the nightmares and uh, waking up sweaty is, is as frequent or you may notice it's already begun to diminish. Because I think, you know, when it comes to events that can feel out of control, it's not uncommon that they can kick up. Um, some PTSD symptoms, but I also find just like anniversary reactions can, but I also find that for some people, they can fade fairly quickly. Um, so I think that by the time you're listening to this, check in with yourself. Does it feel like naturally it's already begun to diminish and is improving and you're sleeping well? Or do you find that it's getting exacerbated and worse? Um, because when, if that's true, I might also say it might be a good time to check in um, with a psychologist or therapist or somebody that you've perhaps already had a good working relationship with. Um, but that when it comes again to your question about the relationship, you know, it's always to recognize that these are a series of conversations, not a definitive one. And you might just be able to say, listen, I know, you know, I haven't been wanting to sleep over, you know, it's just because these elections have really kicked up something for me. And you get to decide how much of that you want to at this moment to disclose. And also in a sense, you know, you're sort of anticipating, I want this bliss to end, but you know, is he feeling ready for that? Um, because I also think that, you know, life does happen to us and, you know, we are all challenged by unexpected events, could be health events, uh, could be trauma, could be um, illness. And 
you know, as you're developing a relationship, it's also recognizing, you know, do you as a couple have that resilience and can you weather a storm together? Um, because you really kind of want to know in some ways sooner than later, um, you know, if this is the guy who can, you know, it, it be with you and show up even when it's not all romantic phase and not all bliss um, because the nature of relationship alone is rupture and repair. So having experiences where they can recognize and really um, sort of recognize your own distress and not run away from that and be there to support you and um, give you what you need is I think a critical thing to know as a relationship is emerging. Um, so that's what I'm going to kind of leave you with, which is to, at this moment, check in with yourself. I believe in self as expert. How are you feeling? Do you, um, feel like these symptoms, the nightmares are getting better or worse? Um, most importantly, just helping your boyfriend understand how and why you might be spending less time with him so that he's not misinterpreting it. And then together deciding how much in this moment feels right to disclose. As always, want to hear how it goes. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I loved what she had to say about really honoring your feelings and being honest, but not saying more than you need to. I remember when a therapist told me years ago, you know, that I don't, I don't have to answer questions just because somebody asks it. Now, maybe your boyfriend isn't asking you about, you know, why this is happening, but the point is still that you can say whatever you are, are, I guess, the most comfortable saying. So as Dr. Megan said, maybe it's just using really vague details, or you might start talking with him and realize that it feels really good to share more. You just never know. And I hope that he is very willing to stand up with you, for you, and and is very understanding. You know, he may really want that chance to, to be there to comfort or for whatever that you need. And I think it's also really important to remember that it's so easy to worry a lot about what our partner might think or how they might feel about us. And that's so natural. And I totally do the same thing. But I think it's also really important to remember that self-care is so important. And you really need to take care of yourself first. And part of that is, is you know, probably figuring out how to uh, navigate with your, with your boyfriend. So I'm wishing you the very best. Uh, to learn more about Dr. Megan All, please go to her website, greatlifegreatsex.com. So over the weekend, I was admittedly very heartbroken. I still am, though I am on a mission and I'm feeling less shocked, I guess. Um, I wasn't shocked about the the bigotry and the racism that, that is already, you know, in our culture. That, that part didn't surprise me, um, but I was definitely surprised by the the overall outcomes of the election and, and devastated. You know, I was scared before the results came in and the worst case scenario pretty much happened in my opinion. So I decided to to do something and I wanted to reach out to people and I asked folks, you know, if you consider yourself an ally to marginalized folks, to please weigh in. If you want to share a message of support, you know, something that you proactively want to do. And I also received, in addition to some of the messages from allies, a very brave, brave message from a beautiful woman who wanted to share her own experience in light of the election. And I think while it is a painful message, it's one that is so important for us to hear. And I know that you will be filled up with compassion as you listen. Hi there. I am a lesbian Latina. I am the daughter of a Mexican immigrant. 
the daughter of a Midwestern woman. I have spent the entirety of my existence feeling the duality of my upbringing, not feeling Mexican enough, and speaking as much Spanish as I, sh as I should, not being conservative enough, girly enough, uh, liking girls instead of boys. I have felt that I never really truly fit into the perfect mold that I was given or expected from either side of my family. Um, and I did grow up in a small part of California that was rural and felt a lot of shame for being who I am. I lived a lot of my life pretending to be someone I wasn't, pretending to like boys, pretending to be girlier than I really am. And I was just afraid of somebody finding out who I truly was. And I do even spend a lot, I carry some of that shame with me now, even at work, I'm not out completely. I just feel that I'm scared of being judged. And with this election, I felt an even stronger sense of not self-worth. I felt defeated. I felt like I didn't fit here, that a country that I loved and cared for didn't care for me back, that me being a lesbian wasn't good enough, being Mexican, being even a woman. I just felt like I had three strikes against me that just made it difficult for me to find the courage to keep fighting these fights and to remain here in this country and not feel bitterness and angry towards wanting to just live a life like everybody else, I guess. I wanted to feel normal and I don't right now. I don't feel important and it's hard for me to find the courage to continue on. Such a brave and heart-wrenching message and I hope that she is feeling all of our love. Can we do one of those big Care Bear stare things? It doesn't matter if you're listening at different times. Just please send out send out love and and keep those words in mind because I'm telling you, this person, I don't have to meet her or know her to know that she is wonderful and perfect as she is, that those strikes against her are not strikes at all. And we all need to work harder for people. We do. In whatever ways that we can, it shouldn't be up to minorities. It shouldn't be only up to women. It shouldn't, you know, we need to all fight, especially when we have different kinds of privilege, you know, as white people, as as human beings, as men, all of us, we all need to do this. And I was really inspired by these messages that I received as well from people who are very determined to make these kinds of, of actions. I'm horrified by the election results, just like a lot of you. I guess I knew there were a lot of ignorant, angry people out there, but I still didn't think they would vote Trump in. So I'm going to work to make sure that this doesn't happen again. I'm going to stay in my red swing state, even though I'd rather live in California, and I'm going to get more involved in politics. To start, I have joined the local Pantsuit Nation group. My husband and I are also going to begin donating to the charities that support those who will need it most. Just a quick note to let everybody know that they are not alone. I think the biggest thing that I've done so far is sit with people. My my friends uh, who feel vulnerable especially, but also those who worked 
on the Hillary campaign are feeling a lot of anger and a great deal of betrayal. Um, and I think being there for each other is the most important thing that we can do. I'm also part of several organizations uh, that are reaching out to those who are more vulnerable um, and uh, trying to connect all of us so that we can support one another. Um, but specifically, just listening. Lots of love to everybody. My name is Rick, and I want to tell you I stand with you. I will speak out forcefully in the face of any bigotry, prejudice, misogyny, homophobia, hate speech, no matter the perpetrator. If you are a person who is made to feel vulnerable because of your gender, sexual orientation, or gender identification, I stand with you. If you are poor or marginalized because of your education, I stand with you. If you are treated with discrimination because of your race or culture, I stand with you. If you are shunted aside or mistreated because of disability, I stand with you. In these United States, none of us are safe unless all of us are safe. And I will speak out vigorously, forcefully, and frequently in the face of hate speech. Hi, I'm Jessica Wheeler from right outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I want to thank August for giving me the opportunity to say, if you have been devastated by the outcome of the election here in America, your feelings are valid. I cried for days. We have elected a leader. He represents our policies and our politics, not our morals. We will respect his title, but never his humanity. If you're worried that your rights will be taken away, do everything possible to prepare yourself. If you have been singled out by people who think that they now have a license to hate, remember and remind your children that there is something wrong in the heart of the bully, not in yours. And you do not have the responsibility or the time to be their therapist. Hold your head up high and move on. If you fear that it will go further than words and you could be in physical danger, arm yourself. Stop at a pet store or a sporting goods store and pick up a can of bear spray. This is not a lethal weapon, but it's powerful enough to disable an animal as large as a bear. This will give you enough time to remove yourself from the situation. To survivors of sexual assault, you're strong. I believe you. To men and women of all color, you are beautiful. To the LGBTQ community, your love is pure. To immigrants and people of all faiths, your culture makes America a better place. If you ever feel alone, think and remember that a woman named Jessica Wheeler is sending positive and empowering vibes at this very moment. We will overcome this together, bonded by hope and love. I'm Cheris. I'm a lesbian, fortunate enough to live in the blue states where, as far as I know, I won't lose my Medi-Cal. My, my health issues will be constantly cared for. Um, I have a lot of friends in the red states, and they are everywhere on the spectrum, from straight to completely gender non-conforming to trans, and so varied in in health issues. And they're terrified, and they're hunted, and I'm scared for them. And there's very little that I can do, but the one thing that I do do is message them as often as possible. Hey, how you doing? 
okay, I'm still thinking of you. That connection at times is, it's a lifeline. It lets people know that they're not forgotten. None of us has lost our power. It's we the people. Hillary won the popular vote. Who We are the power. Make every day, step-by-step, progressive, kind, and daring. It will manifest in our world and our life. We are not lost, and we cannot let hate win. I also received some messages through email, which I will read now. One came from Oleander Plume, who wrote this. What is happening in the U.S. right now is an outrage, and I'm ready to fight. Honestly, I'm not sure where to start, but I won't sit back and watch. So far, I plan on attending protests, writing to Congress, and standing up for my friends on social media. More than anything, I want you to know that you matter. You are beautiful, and you are loved. I will fight for your right to be always. Deren, who says he's a brown guy from California, shared this. I've been trying to find that elusive silver lining, and while it's been hard for me to find, if we can search deep enough, there is one. The people, you and me, the ones that care. The ones that have fought and continue to fight for progress, no matter how bleak the situation may seem. We can change the world one person at a time. All it takes is for each of us to do something that will make a difference for the greater good of humanity. Subscribe to a lower TV package and commit the savings to a cause. Conserve and recycle. Volunteer at an animal shelter. Donate to Planned Parenthood. The impact of kindness is cumulative. There is a dark cloud hanging over our heads and our basic human liberties are at risk. But at the end of the day, this is not Trump's America. It's ours. He works for us, the people. Let our voices be heard for positive change. In the meantime, let's heal the divide and regain control with the midterm elections. And this came from an unschooling mom from rural New York. I want my 12 and 15-year-old kids to grow up as allies. There's a bumper sticker on my car that says, Be the change you wish to see in your children. So I'm reading articles from many perspectives because knowledge is power, the power to help someone who needs it, or maybe to help someone who didn't recognize their level of privilege see that not everyone has the same. I'm smiling more at everyone and striving to do something that's never been easy for me, to listen at least as much as I talk so that I can learn as much as possible. I share what I've learned with family and friends and encourage civil discourse both on social media and in person. Lastly for today, K.M. Huber, a white, disabled, lesbian feminist, wrote this. Now a sexagenarian somewhere in my 60s, I am reminded of the 1960s fight for equanimity. I stand with every woke, younger activist, ready to follow at your direction. I will do everything I can to support you. I offer you this. Sit in silence and listen. You will hear what brought us to this point. You won't be comfortable because you will reveal your privilege. Stay it in anyway. We all have privilege. Get past the raw drama to the core of your emotional energy. It is pure there, and you will find your way. I call that zen. Perhaps you call it hope. Each day, take a sip of your daily dose of energy and aim for even. Equanimity knows no enemies. Thank you all who shared your thoughts. You are amazing. You know, I wanted to make this episode about stories and voices, not statistics, uh, but there's a couple that I feel like I have to share that really, really, really struck me. Uh, About 53% of white women voted for Trump. 
53%. Whether or not you're surprised by that, I find it pretty shattering, especially considering only 4% of black women and 26% of Latina women voted for him. Really hear that. Most black and Latina women voted for Hillary. And 63% of white men voted for Trump. It is so important that we all learn all we can about systematic oppression. If you don't really fully know what that means, that's okay. Trust me, I am always learning. And I've, over the past few years, learned so much about my own privilege. And I'm really trying hard to find more ways to to use it to, to help others. And especially in regards to race, racism, there's this idea that it's, and I mean no pun at all, black and white, that if you're not a member of the KKK, if you have friends of color, then you're not at all racist. I think rather than thinking, am I racist or not, or having that sort of knee-jerk, but I'm not a racist reaction, which is so easy to do, you know, if you have a loving heart and you don't actively think you have these racist ideals, I think it's really a powerful shift to instead recognize that racism is ingrained in our culture. It's not about one person. It's about decades and decades and decades and decades of it being ingrained in the fabric of who we are. I think that is such a powerful move. And just to open your heart and question that and think, do I feel defensive? And if I do, then why? Why do I feel hardness around that? Why do I? I know it's really uncomfortable to think that anything about ourselves would would be racist. That's That's horrible, right? I think most people, unless you are a, a super, super extremist, you know, there's no no pride in that. Most people who have racist ideals or behaviors or thoughts on occasion are not horrible people. And I'm not suggesting that y'all are. I just think it's really important, especially for white people, and I'm speaking as one, to to really see that that change needs to happen and that we can be a part of that. It starts with ourselves. So please support marginalized groups, learn about your privilege and ways to use it for good. As Cam Huber mentioned, it's not going to be comfortable. I'm actually super uncomfortable talking about this now. I, uh, I'm very comfortable talking about orgasms and I could talk to you about your clitoris all day long and, and not have a drop of sweat. But even this morning as I'm getting ready to come here, I'm like, dude, what if I'm completely inept at this? I don't know what to say. I'm going to stumble. I'm going to say the wrong thing. You know what? It's not as hard as being on the repressed side of that. Trust me. And and efforts matter. Um, I think it's more important to try to speak up and to try to, to, to make those efforts in whatever way you do. doesn't mean you need to go on a podcast or radio show or television and talk about it. But I do think that there are ways and, and without burdening the people that you're trying to help by saying, please educate me, which I used to think if I just if I just raise other people's voices, you know, I remember a few years back, I heard a, a beautiful speech by this black woman who was talking about racism. And part of me was like, this is I knew it was awesome. But part of me was like, why is she so angry? And I couldn't figure out why I was so uncomfortable with that thought. And it really forced me to go, okay, I need to dig deeper within myself. And now I understand and respect where she's coming from. And it opened up a whole world for me that is better for, for all of us. Every single one of us who who fights for equality and learns more, gains that awareness, it's a better existence. I mean, it's painful because it really sucks to, to realize a lot of these things. And I'm still constantly learning and, and trying to learn more. I have so much to learn. Um, but it's an important journey. And if you are a white woman out there who wants to learn more about being a strong ally for people of color, 
You're welcome to send me an invite to my Facebook group I started over the summer, co-run by Susan Harper, who's amazing. You can search for white women for women of color to join. We're learning together. It's a safe space. I think it's really important to have women's spaces, and I think it's really important to have – and by the way, trans women and people who are non-binary are also welcome – but again, to not burden people of color, to not send them messages or – and this applies to everybody. Like if you have a question about being trans, turn to an ally first. You know, unless somebody presents themselves to you and says, you know what, I want to I want to be here to answer those questions. It's super important because it falls so much on them and it takes all of us to make a difference. So a few other things we can do. Um, my sister just joined the ACLU, which is amazing. Yay. Please – consider doing that. I hear it's growing by great force, which is awesome. They do incredible work. Definitely keep educating yourself, making sure you're getting information from credible sources. That's also important. And please, please, please take the best possible care of yourself you can. Don't don't beat yourself up. Uh, you know, if you start realizing that maybe you haven't been using your privilege as you can, or maybe you didn't realize how much you had, all that stuff – we are all on a journey and we're going to learn things at different rates and we're not going to do things, quote, perfectly, whatever that means. We're going to screw up. <laughs> That's totally part of it. But we have to take care of ourselves first. It's it's not just a cliche. It's true. We cannot give from an empty well. We can all make a positive difference. I believe that. I'm not giving up. I don't want any of you to give up. And I also want you to know that as a willing ally, if you feel like you could use more representation, you need something elevated, reach out to me. I, I'm so happy to, to hear your voice and to do whatever I can and to, to rally up the troops and whatever I need to do. I have a lot of wonderful people who follow my website and, and the show and in the group that I mentioned on Facebook who I'm sure would be really happy to write letters or take a stand, whatever we can do. If you would like to share your own thoughts on what you're going to do to cultivate a better culture moving forward, or if you have a question for me or Dr. Megan about anything we talked about today, about sex, about your sexuality, about relationships, any of that, please reach out. You can find me through my website, augustmclaughlin.com or girlboner.org. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.